Good morning, hot girls. My name is Zahada, and I want to welcome you back to another episode of Hot Girl Mantras. Last week, we discussed burnout for black women. We talked about how burnout is a phenomenon that black women are often not afforded the chance to fully experience. You know, we're working on exhaust fumes majority of the time, and that's due to the effects of everyday racism and sexism. We also discussed the impact of the harmful black superwoman trope and um, how being held to this impossible standard of black womanhood is literally depleting us, um, taking away our energy and dimming our light. Um, So today I want to discuss this harmful meme that's been circulating all over Instagram during our stay-at-home mandates. It's saying, if you don't come out of quarantine with a new skill, your new side hustle started, or more knowledge, you didn't like time, you like discipline. Um, So we're going to get into that, um, but let me tell you what this mantra is for this week. So it reads, there is power in my deepest emotions. Within them, I find true purpose. I will feel deeply so that I can be rendered whole. Now, upon first reading this uh, meme, I was like, yeah, that's right. Let's take advantage of this timing. Let's get after it. You know, let's set ourselves apart from the rest. Um, But like after five seconds, I thought to myself and I was like, this shit is actually disgusting. Like... (laughs) So I want to discuss today why I feel like that's disgusting and, um, you know, give us some tools to continue fighting burnout and also to um, work against this culture of constantly needing to be productive or to be active or to be getting ahead of the rest, like, um, and being in constant competition with others Um, and to instead um, challenge us to to, to go deeply within ourselves and to feel deeply um, and to and to live a full life um, and, and to seek out that full life while we're in quarantine. Um, and many of us are home alone or home with very few other people or home with other people in general. Um, I just want us to use this time to really find ourselves and find the things that make us tick because um, that is good use of our time. I'm not sitting here saying that people lack discipline because they don't want to go and learn how to code or they don't want to go and start a podcast or whatever. Um. (laughs) So I was doing some late night reads um, and I came across this interview of Malcolm Harris in which he talked about his book, Kids These Days, um, Human Capital and the Making of Millennials in great length, right? So in this interview, they discuss capitalism, the rise of exploitation during the millennials' lifetime, and the social and professional um, implications it has had on us. And you know, obviously something stuck with me. So Malcolm Harris stated, if we want to understand why millennials are the way they are, then we have to look at the increased competition between workers, the increased isolation of workers from each other, and the extreme individualism of modern American society and debt and lack of economic security. Now, this is not an economics class by any means, sis. Um, That's really not my forte. I work in health, okay? (laughs) Um, And I'm trying to talk about a meme, right? Um, But I do feel like there are some things we have to have common knowledge on before I nerd out. And if you already know, I feel like we need to have this review so it can be fresh in our minds, you know. Um, So anytime I think about discussing the harmful effects of capitalism on a population, I automatically get to thinking Karl Marx and R.G. Lord, right? Karl Marx to explain why we're going through what we're going through and R.G. Lord to give us um, an alternative um, approach to life, an alternative approach to our jobs, an alternative approach to, um, to yeah, to life, to living, right? So we're going to get into our good sis, R.G. Lord, later, right? But let's focus on Marx. All right. 
So Marx is this ancient theorist, and what I know him best for, and what gave my university brain a run for its money, is the capitalist mode of production. Now, he talks about five, I believe, but this is the only one relevant for today. Lucky for us all, right? (laughs) So anyways, capitalism is a mode of production, right? So meaning it is a system, and it's our current system, with which we organize our economy. So in capitalism, the big bosses, the 1%, also known as the capitalists or the bourgeoisie, They own everything, the machines, the raw material, and even the labor. And um, specific to us, we talk about labor because we are the labor. They own how we work. They own how much we gain from what we work. And they own how much they take from the things that we we do, right? Um, So in capitalism, it's based on this idea that you produce things at the lowest price possible and upcharge to make the largest profit possible. Which is why many companies, um, especially like late 90s, early 2000s, outsourced labor to developing countries and made hella bank, but still had their workers in these countries making less than a dollar a day. And in the U.S., minimum wage hasn't been raised for years, yet the demand for more work has increased and we as laborers increasingly feel the weight of our replaceability. And I'm not saying that these sweatshops haven't stopped um, you know, being a thing. I'm just saying like they were really in the spotlight during the late 90s and early 2000s. So for the owners or the capitalists or the 1%, um, it's in their best interest that it continues to go this way, right? Meaning it's in their best interest that they get as much from laborers as possible at the lowest cost possible. Pay the laborers as little as possible, just enough to keep them alive and productive, aka exploitation, okay? Um, So that brings us to labor. So that's the shit we do day in and day out to gain income and take care of ourselves to survive, right? Okay. So Marx would disagree with that. Marx describes or defines labor as something that is central to your human being's self-conception and sense of well-being. So like, yes, survival, right? But it's also equally an act of personal creation and a projection of one's identity. So basically, your labor, as it is supposed to be, um, you know, represented or defined, is a part of you. And it is your chance to share yourself with the world. Now, I'm hip, I'm hip. You over there being like, I have never in my life felt like labor made me feel as though um, I'm sharing myself with the world. Or maybe you've had those times. Maybe you've had like an internship or a job or a time where you, I don't know, wrote a paper in high school or college or something. And you were like, dang, I really feel like I'm about to make whoever is reading this or I'm about to make whoever is seeing this thing that I've created. I'm about to make them feel like they've seen a piece of me. Um Some people have never had that feeling, right? And we're going to talk about that. So the reason why we don't really see labor in the way that Marx sees labor is because we've been living in a capitalist state, in a capitalist, I don't, I don't know if I want to say regime, but I guess I can say that we've been living, living underneath a capitalist system. So there's no way that we would ever feel like labor is something that is a reflection of ourselves because the labor that we do is really a reflection of the 1% and their desires. Um, Capitalism distorts or misconstrues the purpose of labor and deprives people of this essential source of self-worth and identity. So basically, under a capitalist society, laborers see work only as a means of survival, like we said, and, um, you know, derives nothing, none of those other personal satisfactions of work because the fruits of their labor don't really belong to them, which leads to being estranged from self, 
being estranged from your work and the community around you, which is where you get that whole sense of, uh, you know, competition between others, even though all y'all literally suffering <laughs> and, and all y'all, I'm including myself, literally suffering and making pennies. And the 1% is sitting up there laughing on a yacht right now. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's an exaggeration, but I don't know. Also something that does actually happen. All right. So now let's jump back to Malcolm Harris and his book, sis. So anyway, he argued that millennials are being hit the hardest with the damage that has been caused by the U.S. operating under this capitalist society um, for God knows how long. And specifically the damage that was caused in the late 20th century. Like I said, you know, the 1990s, etc. So anyway, uh, capitalism is built, like we said, off of the exploitation of workers. But for millennials... Think, think about this. You know, we're talking late 19th century when it started to get, you know, really underway and become the beast that it is now. That's literally our whole entire life as lives as millennials. Um, and it's just been getting increasingly more powerful um, as we've um, grown into adulthood. So this increased rate of exploitation for American workers as a whole, you know, it has huge implications, especially for people who are routinely exploited. So think black indigenous people of color, incarcerated peoples, which are often black indigenous people of color and people in the service industry or what we would say now, especially in this COVID-19 area, people who are essential workers, which are often also black indigenous people of color. You know, so we're seeing people working longer hours, working harder putting their lives on the line and more working more efficiently for less and less in return and, and doing those same jobs. Um, we have literally grown up in a time where there's less and less work-life balance, less compensation for input. And as a result, we've internalized this drive to produce as much as we can for as little as possible to get ahead in life, even though there's literally no way that you're going to get ahead in life by, by working you know, in this manner. This is not this is not the solution for getting ahead in life, um, but that's what we've been um, that's what we've been programmed to think. So we end up in this weird space that requires us to work harder. I don't know, learn the code, um, pick up a skill like I don't know, learn how to make wigs. Even though you know doing hair is people's, you know that's that's what gives people life. But learn how to make wigs, or I don't know, learn how to do forex, learn how to do all these extra things on top of what you're already doing. Gain knowledge on your own dime. Go and get these certifications after you get your bachelor's degree, and you're already up to your uh, waist in debt. But go and do these things because it'll set you apart from the crowd. Again, that fighting over crumbs. We take on the charge to becoming the workers that the economy needs. Um, I always laugh when like I'll tell my family, especially like my mom or my dad, I'll tell them, oh, I got this job. And they're like, oh, yeah, you do a good job. And they'll probably pay for you to go to grad school. And I'm like, do you know that there are like less than 10 percent of the organizations right out um, less than 10 percent of the organizations out right now that are actually doing that? They don't do that no more. They expect for you to go and pay for your master's degree and then they pay you maybe seven thousand dollars more. Um, I always laugh. So we're literally doing the work that they're supposed to do to make us, um, you know, better workers for them. All right. Now I've talked on this, basically gave an economics or let's say a capitalism one-on-one course. Um, and I guess you're wondering, what does this have to do with the damn meme? <laughs> but I want to say, sis, everything, you know, 
We've literally been conditioned to worship productivity and efficiency. We are now multitasking gurus, um, people who use their downtime to work on a side project or gain a skill that will set us apart from the crowd. We've been conditioned to be perfect puzzle pieces in this larger system of production that doesn't even value all of this extra work we're putting in to be acknowledged. Um, We're literally going through a global crisis right now. For many of us, this is the first pandemic we've ever experienced. Um, This is a scary and uncertain time. Um, Yet the first thing people get to posting on the Internet (laughs) is use this time to work or you've wasted your time and lack discipline. Like what? Um, I mean, COVID-19 is 10 times deadlier than the flu. Our healthcare system does not have the capacity to deal with this. And at this point, we've surpassed the death rate of Italy. We have the highest deaths in all of the world. Um, you know, our black communities um, are being are, are dying at rates higher than anybody else in this country. And people want to talk about work. <laughs> Bitch, what? <laughs> um, people want to say you like discipline during this time if you don't do no work. You know, like what type of exclusionary trash are we dumpster diving in, you know? Uh, I want to say this is because of capitalism. A lot of us reposting and co-signing that shit because we do not have an identity outside of our achievements or money. Think back to what we talked about last week when we were talking about a black woman's guide to burnout. All of our, you know, where we assign our worth or assign value to is literally outside of ourselves. A lot of times we have a hard time thinking, well, what's great about me? When we think about that, we think, oh, how I take care of family or how I cook food for family or how I care for others. We can never talk about ourselves, you know, or if we do talk about ourselves, we talk about our strength. We can't think of anything outside of our ability to be strong as being, you know, great qualities about ourselves. Um, so, um, again, determining our self-worth based on how much traditionally defined success we attain these achievements or how much money we make, you know, how much we produce, how much we put out into the world for everybody to see and how much we, you know, how competitive we are, you know, um, against everyone else in the job market. Um, We've been taught to view ourselves as machines and calculate our worth based on how much we produce. You know, instead of allowing ourselves to be fully present in this moment, we're forcing people to continue working, continue seeking knowledge to be competitive when outside finally open back up, (laughs) setting ourselves up to be a quote unquote success without really realizing there's so much more that you can do and should be doing with this time. So much more than, you know, making ourselves ripe for the capitalist picking. Susanna Wise wrote on five common behaviors that perpetuate toxic capitalism. One of them was looking down on people who get less done. Um, she goes on to discuss how in our society, you're only as good as what you contribute. Um, I find the use of this meme literally doing that, you know, looking down, saying, if you don't get anything done, if you don't contribute during this time, if you don't prepare yourself to contribute in a major way, once outside open back up, you're, you're lacking in discipline. You know, you just made excuses during that time. You're not really about it. You're not really, you know about creating something for yourself or about success because you're not willing to use the downtime that you're finally having and being forced to have. You're not willing to use that time to, to, to work for the 1%. Um, it's reinforcing this idea that we're nothing more than what we're able to produce. So you had better produce while you're dealing with your own reactions to this virus, while you're dealing with your own reactions to collective trauma um, that's being felt around this world. 
I think that's, um, I think that's some shit. <laughs> yeah, I think that's some shit. And, um, because of that, I want to offer up an alternative to pushing this narrative that you must be productive during this mandated break from each other and the demands of our economy. Um, I challenge us to use this time wisely, yes, but to use it to find the use of the erotic as power, as Audre Lorde suggested, and revolutionize the way that we view power and agency. All right, so we're going to get into our good sis, Audre Lorde. Anyway, Audre Lorde describes the erotic as a resource that resides in feminine and spiritual energy. And in this capitalist system, you know, um, something that's inherently masculine and distances itself further and further away from the spiritual um, we're desperately in need of some feminine spiritual energy, you know? Um, in this case, so in this case, capitalism oppresses us and sustains this dynamic by corrupting the power or empowerment that can come from um, doing labor. It distorts where we find our value, um, making us find our value as a means of production rather than whole people who happen to be able to produce. So we've been taught that by suppression of the erotic or suppression of um, the ability to be fully present or the, or, or the suppression of the ability to fully feel our emotions and the things that are deemed, quote unquote, non-rational. We've been taught that's the only way we can be fully strong. So again, thinking back to last week, you're strong because you don't cry. You're strong because nobody sees you sad. And, and as a result of that, nobody thinks that you can never be sad. Nobody thinks that you ever have feelings or that you're anything outside of this static character within their lives who, who is just this pillar of strength, who is always there for everybody, but has no one there for them. Capitalism is, is, is to blame, you know, part to blame for that. This suppression of our emotion in order to be strong, the suppression of quote unquote non-rational things in order to be seen as strong, in order to be seen as viable in our capitalist society, we know as black women can be deadly, you know, and, and not just, um, you know, make you feel dead inside. It literally can kill you. Um, so I invite us today um, to begin rejecting this presence of that harmful black superwoman trope and the invasive presence and demands that capitalism forces upon us, um, you know, constantly demanding us to create so that others might feel whole and fulfilled and only to keep us um, as pieces of someone else's success story and alienating us from our own. So let's go ahead and say the mantra for the first time. I know I talked a lot, but I really wanted us to be on the same page. So um, let's say... There is power in my deepest emotions. Within them, I find true purpose. I will feel deeply so that I can be rendered whole. So the erotic offers a well of replenishing and provocative force to the woman who does not fear is revelation, nor believe that sensation is enough. Um, it is a measure between the beginning of our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings. Um, it's an internal sense of satisfaction to which, once experienced, we aspire, right? Um, and then having experienced this fullness uh, or this depth of feeling and recognizing its power in honor and self-respect, we require no less than that. We no longer can accept that. You know, we no longer can accept this, 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 uh, this dull life without feeling. Because when we feel and we, we are really fully present um, that's when we find our true power. I hope I'm making sense. 
it's in tapping into this erotic, you know, tapping into our innate spirituality or black girl magic, if you will, we begin to no longer accept things at face value. We experience life fully. We feel deeply emotions such as joy, um, emotions such as uneasiness, emotions such as sadness. And we start to make sense of the world around us instead of trying to suppress those things and be this one strong, flat character. Um, that's not living, you know. And, and and when we start to feel these emotions deeply, we no longer accept a life where we suppress them, you know, and we begin to seek a life. Um, we begin to seek a profession. We begin to seek a people or a community that allows us to continue to feel those feelings, to feel self-love and to love ourselves fiercely. Um, Audre Lorde defines this erotic. It's not a question of only what we do. You know, so it's not just like, oh, my gosh, it's not just about work. It's not just about production. It's not just about survival. Right. It's not just about what we do. It's also a question of how acutely and fully we can feel in the doing, you know. So can we fully bring all of our emotions and all of ourselves to the work that we're doing? And most often time we cannot. I I don't know many jobs except for the one that I currently have. Mashallah, I'm really grateful for it. You know, I can bring my full self to the table and not feel like, you know, my boss or those around me in in, in my workspace are going to make me feel less of a person or less of a go-getter for it. I talk about the current job I had, but every time I find myself feeling like I'm not allowing myself to be fully present I think about a time when I was fully present and when I was fully present for the first time and I know I talk about Peace Corps all the time but Peace Corps was really you know it was the best of times and it was the worst of times specifically now I want to speak about when it was the best of times and um, when I was serving in the Peace Corps in Togo um, I really do feel like I was using the erotic as as my source of power and I really say this because Everything that I did while I was working in Togo felt like I was putting a piece of myself, you know, rooting a piece of myself into the soil or everything that I produced, quote unquote, produced everything that I worked on was a reflection of myself. And I truly felt joy when I did it. I truly felt um, like the work that I was doing was a reflection of my love for myself. You know, I didn't feel like I was doing it so that someone else could reach their goals. I was doing it so that um, I was doing it because I loved it. <laughs> there, there really was no other point. The point was because I loved it and it made me feel alive, you know, going out there and helping those communities to reach their goals because I was privileged enough to have the resources that they didn't have. I felt alive. So I didn't need that car. I didn't need coffee. I didn't need nothing to make me want to stay up late into the night and get that work done. I would burn that midnight oil just because it made me feel alive. You know, that is tapping into the erotic, fully being present in the moment because it's something that you actually enjoy and love doing. That love that you have for your work is the love that you have for yourself. Just like, I don't know you would love a partner or just like you would love I don't know to eat your favorite candy while you're watching your favorite movie it's the same thing you're trying to find that same love that you have in your hobbies in your work you're trying to find that same love that you may have for a person in your work that's and and obviously I'm interpreting this how I would interpret it and I would really challenge everybody to go and find this piece by RJ Lord so that you can interpret the erotic as power you know in a way that it works for you but I hope what I'm saying is is speaking to you, you know? I had gotten to the place 
where speaking to my boo at home and feeling all giddy, finally being able to see his face when I had internet, it felt no different than going out and teaching um, the high school and middle school students about sexual and reproductive health. It felt no different. The love that I had for him was the love that I had for doing that work and the love that I had for um, you know working with those students and, and seeing them engage with the content. Um, the, you know, the feelings that I felt, you know, being cuddled up and being little spoon with my man, you know, <laughs> or being made love to, um, I, it felt no different, you know, and I know people be like, ew, that's nasty. Don't compare sex to life. But that is the erotic. That is power. There is power in that feeling of fullness, that feeling of you know, ecstasy, that feeling of joy, that should be also reflected in your work. And I do really challenge us to go and try to find that, try to find that work that, that, that reflects that, you know, that's true living, that's true labor. And I want to make a point to say that all of those feelings were there, you know, my erotic as power or, or, or where I found my power and where I found my love for myself and was able to reflect it into everything else. That had nothing to do with anyone else or anything else. It was me, you know, it was me all along, you know, um, it was me fully being present in the moment um, and, and giving myself permission to to love myself and to love myself fiercely, you know. So much so that I will no longer work a job that doesn't, you know, feed me in that way. I'll no longer be with a partner that doesn't feed me in that way. Um, it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me, myself, and the fuck I. <laughs> it, it has nothing to do with being in competition with others for something that isn't supposed to be mine. It has everything to do with me working towards finding the thing that makes me tick and going after that every day in everything that I do. You know, um, once we know what we're capable of feeling, once we know that deep sense of satisfaction and wholeness, we can then look, you know, look for that feeling in everything that we do um, and and see what's going to bring us closest to that fullness. So, you know, with the celebration of the erotic and all our endeavors, our work, you know, it becomes a conscious decision. Lord describes it, you know, as a longed for bed, which we enter gratefully and from which we rise up empowered. Like, can you imagine? I just, <laughs> and I don't know why this resonated with me so much because look, I haven't, I'm going to be completely candid. I haven't had a bed, um, since I want to say like a bed bed since since October when I came back from Ethiopia I was sleeping on a, a futon so when I got to my apartment I was like oh yeah I'm about to get you know a gel um a cooling gel memory foam mattress blah 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 and I felt that since I felt that I was like I long for this motherfucking bed and every time I get up I'll be feeling like a queen you get what I'm saying and that's what it should feel like when you go and do work and I know that's like what the hell is this girl talking about but that's true and the fact that you feel like I'm talking crazy or you know I'm I'm you know one flew over the cuckoo's nest right now is because we have been programmed to believe that we can't feel that way about the work that we do. We've been cro- programmed to feel that we go to work and we come home and then we can go and try to find something that's that will give us that feeling. But a lot of us don't have that um we don't have that we don't have that ability. We're not able to do that either. We come home and we got to worry about everybody else. When is when is when are we going to be able to have time for ourselves? When are we going to be able to have time for the things that make us happy? Well, since now is the time to figure out how to do that. Let's say this mantra. 
There is power in my deepest emotions. Within them, I find true purpose. I will feel deeply so that I can be rendered whole. Now, I feel like I've talked your ear off about capitalism, Karl Marx, you know, competitiveness within a field that even that isn't even created for us to succeed in. Um, I've talked about Audre Lorde in depth, and I really, really would love y'all to go and search this out. It's really just like a five to seven page document, and I'm sure that you can find like an audio recording of it, too. But I really challenge you to seek that out, right? And if you've read it before, read it again. Because every time I read it, I find something new and empowering about it, right? Because, um, you know, when you're in touch with the erotic, um, you become less willing to accept powerlessness. And those those other things that aren't native to us, like despair and, and depression and self-denial, those aren't things that we're supposed to be feeling, you know? Especially when it comes to things that that are the fruits of our our labor, you know, especially when it comes to our labor, we should not be feeling depressed going to work. We should not be feeling despair going to work. You know, that shouldn't be. That's not how that's supposed to be. That's not how labor is intended to be. We're supposed to find ourselves reflected in everything that we do. That is true power. That is true living. And that is true freedom. Now, in bringing it back to the meme or whatever. As I noted, it's harmful, you know, to suggest that we use this time to advance our careers or pick up a side hustle and to say that alone. So I want to instead challenge us, you know, to to ask ourselves, when did we feel most authentically ourselves and why? When did we feel full and vulnerable um, and, and, and find strength in our vulnerability and why? And what was it about that period in our lives that allowed us to feel and express growth and freedom out loud? Um, that's what this time is all about, at least to me, you know, it's not about trying to make yourself more disciplined, quote unquote, because if you are a black woman, you have discipline out of your ass. It is literally seeping out of your pores. Do you, <laughs> do you hear me? The discipline that you have to have to code switch every day to work at, um, at your job and to work at home, the discipline you have to have to manage all those personalities and to be, you know, the pillar of strength in your family units. That's, I don't, it's not a question of discipline for us, you know? It's, it's literally not. Um, it's not about alienating yourself from those around you or trying to ignore collective trauma and make yourself stick out from the rest of everybody when this is all over. No, baby, that's not it. <laughs> um, this is about finding what makes you tick, finding your source of light and taming it. You know, as black women, we always want to talk about black girl magic without really discussing the spiritual prowess that we innately possess. You know, we have magic. Um, but a lot of us don't even tap into it. Um, I'm not going to go deep into that today, but you know yourself, you know your six senses, you know the gifts that you came into this world with. And if you don't know now, it's even you know more imperative that you take this time to sit with yourself, to cry without restraint, to laugh robustly, to moan as if you aren't ashamed for the world to hear, to shout to the high heavens, you know, and to break yourself free so that you might hear God fully. So that you might find your purpose and live in it. You feel me? You know, you don't lack discipline. You lack free thought. You lack thought that is free from outside influence. Take this time to hear yourself again or maybe even hear yourself for the first time. Let's say the mantra one last time. There is power in my deepest emotions. Within them, I find true purpose. I will feel deeply so that I can be rendered whole. 
I want to thank y'all for tuning in. Again, please, 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 if you have the wherewithal, you know what I'm saying? If you got the spoons, you know your spoon theory, go find R.J. Lord's uses of the erotic, the erotic as power, and allow that to move you. You know, come to it with an open mind. It's a chapter in her book, Sister Outsider. And if you got time, you should read that shit too. Read all of R.J. Lord's shit because she be on it. You feel me? <laughs> And, you know, hit me up. Let me know how I sat with you. Let me know what it feels to breathe deeply, to cry without restraint, to laugh from the depths of your bowels. You know what I'm saying? To feel full, you know? Let me know what that process is like for you as you set yourself free and you work every day to continue to be free. Um, None of this is easy, but it's beyond worth it. And I want you to know that you're loved. You have a community. You are cared for. Um, And until next time.